Well, I just want to say that I'm really disappointed in myself because on Friday I got I I ordered a bunch of kava and I uh me and my roommate were both like, you know, let's get like real muddy tonight. That's like the 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 phrase for drinking a lot of kava. And neither of us had eaten anything and uh we drank muddy? Get muddy on kava. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. That's the phrase that I've heard. It's that's not a, a phrase that I use. Phrase. That's a common what? phrase. That's a common yeah, like. I don't know. I'm let's get lit. Sure. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like that, but I don't know how common it is. I mean, I don't know how common kava is. That's fair, but I I was so I was drinking. We we drank a lot of it, and we were watching Tenet. And um, I wasn't really following the story, and I was getting real nauseous and gross. And then yeah, that's, just day, the that's not kava. That was just the movie. That's time. what I thought. Yeah, that's yeah. not. I mean, this, this has I nothing to do with kava. Completely sober, and I also got nauseous and had no idea what was going on. I guess things go backwards. I don't know. I didn't get. Yeah, it. I, don't know. I don't know either. I'm gonna have to watch it like three or four more times, or never again. I'm not sure. But yeah, uh, I I woke up the next day. And I had this moment with myself where I was going, oh, no, I think that I just got to give the rest of my kava to my roommate, should she want it, because I feel so gross. And I messed up my morning because I had like, I mean, it's not a hangover or anything, but I, I woke up, I felt gross. And, um, and I was just thinking to myself, man, I can't like, I guess that this is kind of out too now. I can't, I can't. I can't use anything to like take the edge off. I got to like find other ways that aren't substance based. Um, even something like Kava where I, you know, before Friday, I was just, I, I don't know. I was thinking about it differently. Like, Oh, well, you know, people drink it ceremonial, uh, ceremonially. And like, it's, um, it's fine if I have it every now and then, especially, and it's fine if I have a lot of it, like one day a week. But um, I just woke up and I, was, I, I kind of thought, like, I guess I have to kind of just raw dog everything now, like, because it's everything's kind of out. Like, kratom is clearly addicting. Kava is not; it's it's not good, and. Uh, and so I guess that, you know, I got to, I just got to go to the gym more. I don't know. Um, I was hoping you'd say like, Kratom, see a, or to Kratom, hate him. And then you're like, Kava, sayonara. You were you hoping know. I was going to say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I wish, so, I wish that you were wittier. Uh, coffee. No, I, I think you wish that I was whimsy, uh, like whimsical. <laughs> That's not that's not witty. I don't know if that's witty. Well, okay, maybe I'm in a whimsical mood, but you know, something like that. Well, that's okay. Okay, we're trying to make we're trying to make you know, Instagram red like clips, audio clips. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm. I, I'll find the sound bites and I'll I'll do it for you. But uh... see you later, Cavagator. Like <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't do puns, so you can you can do them. Um, you got another one? No, no. I mean, I made a whole career out of doing puns, and I. But no, that's all I got. Okay. 
Well, hey guys, pretty welcome good. to Functioning Episode 3 with uh, Jody and Tom. I'm Jody, your kind host, uh, four and a half years sober, comedian, copywriter, and I am genuinely interested in the uh, things that make alcoholics functioning and what happens before and after sobriety. This is my old comedy buddy, Tom. Say hey, Tom. Hey, I'm Tom. <laughs> This is an audio uh, medium, so they didn't see you wave at the camera. But <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> so me seeing you is just for our benefit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's recording it, but yeah. Okay. I don't think who would watch that. I don't know who would watch that. I don't know who would watch that either. Tom and I used to host comedy shows back in the day. Now we're both sober on our own volition. Um, and we are both trying to form a podcast. <laughs> trying <laughs> we're doing okay. but Tom, you have something to say today right you wanted to talk about something specific so yeah no there's actually quite a bit that i want to discuss some a little bit of airing grievances and some just uh i don't know it it had to do with saturday which i'm glad that we didn't record on saturday because i kind of lost it in that like do you do you remember like when you woke up hungover and you had that feeling of, oh, I gotta get everything together today. I'm gonna like, I'm gonna sure. apply for a job. I'm going to go back to school. I'm gonna, I'm gonna break up with this girl and go out with this girl and all this stuff. Yeah, um, those productive days. That's how I applied <laughs> to portfolio school. Was in a panic. Oh really? I, I got in. I was like, oh dude, I can't believe I got into portfolio school just like on a hungover whim. And yeah. I found out later that they accept everybody. <laughs> you just had to apply. So really the only thing that got me in was that I had $50 for the application fee. That's funny. But no. you still in a pan in a blind panic you still uh, uh submitted, which yeah. you wouldn't get in unless you submitted. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um <laughs> So I uh I woke up um and I well, I did the same thing or did this thing that I was talking about earlier where I was going, okay, well, I have to cut out kava now. They're really, I guess I just can't ever indulge in anything um, because I don't have any self-control. I mean, we knew this about ourselves, but now we definitely know. Um, and it's like, uh, like the whole 30 thing that you were talking about where it's just slowly but surely diet like doing too much of one thing and going okay well i guess that i just have i'm just an addict and that this is how my life is like i just cannot give myself any leeway with some stuff um so it has to be kind of an all or nothing thing and then on on saturday i was still doing that like panic of like oh my gosh what am i doing i'm still this fucking addict and I don't know what to do and I need to stop. And so I started like reaching out to uh, monastic communities and um, just seeing, you know, what's up. And so last year there was a, like, I spent a long time in discernment of wait, whether- Wait, hold on, wait. I don't know if the average reader or listener yeah. is aware of what you mean by monastic communities. Like you're texting a monk or were you like on like a hotline? 
emailed and texted. A specific monk? or was I did like... text a specific monk. I'm meeting with a monk tomorrow. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I guess you should talk about your credentials. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm three and four months sober, and uh, I have been discerning religious life for the past two years um, as a part of my recovery, as a part of my sobriety. And last year, I spent a good portion of the time looking at the Episcopal Church and looking at the Orthodox Church within the Christian tradition and finally settling on the Episcopal Church for various reasons. But um, my interest in the priesthood extends to intentional religious living, which in my mind is either cloistered living as a monastic or uncloistered, but still as a monastic in the world. And on Saturday, I had this, like, I've been trying to, I've been running away from this feeling for so long that I thought it was gone. And then on Saturday, something broke where the feeling came back in a big way. And I started just kind of in a, like a blind panic of going, all right, well, let's just see what's up and just sent out a bunch of emails, sent out a bunch of texts to meet with some monastics and set up meetings with them and see about communities that are in the United States to see if, uh, you know, I would like to join them. To be a monk. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. What, um, uh, what led you to, you were telling the story before I told you to do your credentials. So you said Saturday you were hit with yeah. this, like, I got to get my shit together feeling. And then you well, were like, dear Friar Tuck. <laughs> yeah. So on. Um, that's the only Friar I know. I'm not trying to be. <laughs> no, no, no. That's fine. That's like most everybody knows that Friar. And as, and I, I will mention, I'll give a shout out to Friar Tuck because as a kid, that's how I f felt like, oh my gosh, that's what I want to do. I want to be that dude. Just this drunk Friar in Robin Hood. But I loved the idea of intentional religious living because of that image. Um, so like last year, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but last year I went to a monastery. I spent my birthday at a monastery. Um, I was there for about a week. And this year I came into contact with a friar um, and we had a nice conversation. He invited me on a retreat. I got sick, so I couldn't go. And so I reached out to him, but um, mostly what's been going on since like last September, I've pushed away the idea of being a monastic because I was having sex again. And so that was nice. Um, and, yeah. uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't want to like, I love the idea of being a monk, but I do like sex. So, Monks um, can't have sex, huh? Well, so that's the thing. There's, there's cloistered monks that can't really, they like take a vow of celibacy, but then there's other like um like That's benedictine oblates on is that what makes them uncloistered they're like mm, let me uncloister my pants for a second is that yeah yeah no that's exactly this what is they supposed do. to be a comedy podcast so i'm just trying to pepper in the jokes i am i'm I sorry i'm sorry i should be a little bit more uh 
I'll be a little bit more whimsical with my with the just wacky. Just, just wacky, or if anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, what's okay. wacky? Great, you're doing great. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, but anyway, so the the I I was running from the idea um, of being a monastic because I got I don't know people people aren't like super enthused if you bring it up like the priesthood is one thing but if you tell someone you're like i kind of love the idea of intentional religious living i.e monasticism everybody goes what are you like gay or are you like running from something like so what are you, you an know? outlaw what are you some sort of gay <laughs> outlaw what did you like kill your lover what happened <laughs> yeah so i i've come into a lot of uh pushback from my friends who mean well and uh and you know of course i'm in my head i'm going well i'm not gay so i'm not gonna be a monk or anything um but you might check in if you're gay or not just like just do another inventory before you join the monkhood because that's gonna sneak up on you that'll sneak up on you it will sneak up on you it does it does i don't know if like rosary and then you'll just be like you know popping a boner or something i don't know yeah, that would be a, a improper time to have a boner, but I understand your point. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that would make you gay. Having boners at improper times is not the signifier. <laughs> and I'd say, like, I mean, you're praying to the mother of God. I don't think that if you're a guy. Oh, see, I forgot about that because I was raised. Okay. Down. Yeah, you're praying for intercession. I think the... you're talking straight to to ripped Jesus, not his. Oh no, 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 no! You're yeah, no. Um, so that's that's what happened on Saturday, and I was I was like I was looking forward to talking to you because like my brain was going all over the place, but then I thought like it's probably better that we didn't talk uh, during my like weird panic. Um, so anyway. That was what was going on this week. Um, before I went to the Protestant service to meet people, to meet young Christians, because a lot of old people go to my church. Young people go to non-denominational Protestant churches, and it was just, I hated every minute of it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it was, I mean, it's like an hour and a half, and it's just, guitar music which is always just the it's terrible and everybody's going like they got their hands up of grace <laughs> yeah everywhere yeah. i look i see your face they had all the hand motions that's what i was raised with that's the stuff that oh I yeah all with. the like the weird like pseudo sign language stuff oh my god yeah <laughs> yeah yeah How they, they... you know it's the thing is they do that like they do like a suspended like ninth chord or seventh there's a specific type of chord that just really hits that like mm-hmm. that god angle that like that youth group god sound that just like anytime i hear it i immediately start praying and i don't even pray well i'm praying for it to stop when i hear that <laughs> uh that's all i was doing i was just like i had my prayer open i was just praying while i was there they probably thought that was weird because they don't even because your hands weren't up yeah i crossed myself a bunch of times just so that i could say like look i'm not with y'all i'm not here for this you're like backing away just in case god looked down was like (laughs) i am not with these guys but i'm not i'm i'm with you 
Um, I gotta ask, because I'm curious, um, is it possible that the same extreme thinking, because that's a very extreme, you know, thing to do, to, to like, decision, to go mm-hmm. in to the monkhood, monkhood? A monk's hood. Um, <laughs> and, cowl. uh... Monk's cowl. A monk's cowl? Is that what they yeah. call it? The cowls yeah, of monks? Um, yeah. Yeah. like Batman? <laughs> yeah like batman dude I don't know what a cowl is i think um do you think that maybe that is linked to like the same sort of intensity that comes with being an alcoholic like like i find that like whenever especially when i get into something and this is also in part because of my adhd but like you know like i picked up jujitsu and and yoga and now that's like my main two things mm-hmm. and i am getting better at it um and there's times when i was like man i wonder if i could become like a professional jujitsu athlete and right. then i realized i'm too old for that that's ridiculous <laughs> uh so but only purely because i'm too old for it but like you know when i did comedy i was just like this is what my life is and i like sacrificed yes everything you know around yes. comedy and then, um, like, there's just a certain degree of, like, intensity that comes that I, I personally think is directly linked to my alcoholism. Because then when I started drinking, I was like, I'm a drinker. And then I would just be like, that's what I do. And then I just guzzle a gallon of whiskey. So do you think that this is, like, a similar thing? Yeah. And that's why this takes a lot of uh, – that's why I put it away last year was because – I just figured this is like an all or nothing type mentality. Kind of like what you said, like uh, I am this, therefore I am all the way this. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to put every fiber of my being into this because I don't understand what gentleness is. I don't understand like what, I just don't have the capacity. I don't understand what it means to like have elements of your life be a part of your life, not all of your life. If that makes sense. Yeah. Compartment, compartment, mental. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it has, it's very dialed in. uh, It's very focused thinking and it's very intense. And last year I, I, I assumed that it, that's what it was. And I thought like, that's what this is. Therefore, I don't think that I would be a good religious. Like, I I don't think I would be a good monk because if that's the reason that I would join a monastery, then that would be just the same reason that I would leave. Um, And so I was trying to walk a pretty tight rope, but I don't know. The, the reason that I, I reached out to the people that I did was just to get their perspective on it instead of, you know, diving fully in like I would want to do. Were they into it? Were they like, don't do it, man. I haven't had sex in 20 years. Like, <laughs> it's like I live in a, in a, you know, were they cool with it? I kind of imagine whoever you emailed is like hold up medieval style. Like they like, you know, they walled themselves in. But they're on the internet. They have a little laptop in there. Yeah, yeah, it's somewhere in the really back room. They have internet connection. 
Yeah. They use it once a day. Yeah, and then they get fed um, their one little meal, and they they have their humble cottage, and then they like think about God for the rest of the day. Yeah, well, the guy that I reached out to, who I'm meeting with, was the one that approached me earlier this year to ask me, like, have you ever thought about living in like a monastic life? And um, and and we and we got to talking, and he said, you know, there's no reason that you can't be like you can be not celibate, you can be celibate, you can be cloistered, you can be uncloistered, but you would be affiliated with this community in some sort in some sort of fashion. You know, my uncle's a monk. <laughs> Did I tell you this? No, you've I never. Have... Of course, of course, your your uncle's a monk. <laughs> Where's your uncle a monk at? So I have a lo- I have a long lost monk. Though, sorry, uncle, monkle. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and he lives in Mexico and, um, I guess he's a priest, but, um, sure. maybe he, le- I don't know the story, but he, um, Benedictian, I think. Yeah. yeah. Is that Episcopalian, a Wiscopalian? That, <laughs> that would be, um, uh, Catholic, Roman Catholic. No, 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 he was, um, what's the one that's associated with the church of England? Oh yeah. Then he would be Anglican. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was that. Okay. Yeah. And they they have they have affiliated orders with the Benedictines. Yeah, and then maybe he. um, I don't know. We don't talk. We talk sometimes, and he usually goes. Well, he's really busy, Jody. (laughs) He usually goes off the rails every time I talk to him, and he's always trying to get me to visit him in Mexico. But then he tells me that he lives in cartel-held Mexico, and he's like, "Come and visit, just like." Watch out for the cartels. I'm like, dude. Yeah, be I careful. I don't know if a, like a 70 year old monk is gonna protect me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't well, that's know what why. the the prayers are for. Yeah, yeah. He told me that he uh, had to do a service uh, in a small town because like the resident priest was part of like the opposing family that took opposed to the people who took over that town. And I was like, "You want me to? You want me to come visit? Like, can we just go to like Cabo?" <laughs> yeah. Well, they. Yeah. Will they let you come here? Will they let you visit me? Who? The cartel? Your uncle. My uncle. Um. Yeah. I mean, how I, long I, has I, he been a monk? I'm my own man. I don't know. He's a. Uh, he's like kind of a long lost uncle. I didn't meet him until I was in high school. Because my dad's dad was a drunk, an yeah. alcoholic. Back then, they just called him drunks. Um, and he left. I'm, I'm the product of my dad, who was his first family. My okay. dad's dad's first family. And he left uh, in a drunken stupor, and then I guess got sober and had a second family. Well, you know, tale as old as time. Beauty and the Beast. And... Uh, then that second family produced my uncle. And then like when Facebook became a thing in like 2004, my family was all about it. And, you know, cause they're a bunch of Southerners and they found everyone with the last name Buffkin and friended them because it like, it's not a, it's not a common name. Right. And now there's like, they've like, tracked them all down they've had a bunch of family reunions and he came out of that and he would he came to our house and he had he had to wear like a special belt um okay and yeah he was really cool he was like really like 
probably one of the only family members I like connected with. <laughs> he was very cool. We still talk. He gave me all the the skinny on the on my family. He we he talks to me about learning Spanish, all this stuff. You should send me his email. I mean, yeah, I could do that if you want to reach out to him. Just Google Buffkin. You'll find the one. <laughs> there's only like there's only a few. There's one guy who's like a famous Buffkin. He's like in he's like a college basketball player. I think his name is James. And then other than that, it's just a bunch of fucking ne'er do wells. And if ever since this country has been a country, even before that, there has been. For the entire history of this country, there has been a buffkin on the wrong side of history the whole time. If there's a problem, there's a buffkin that's making it. This is true. Like if, you look at, if you look at it historically, I'm, I'm sure there was a couple of buffkins at January 6th. <laughs> if not, some buffkin derivatives that maybe have changed their name since then. You know, like Nufkin. Or something like that. There was um, one in particular that comes to mind was back during the Reconstruction period. There was a buffkin that led an angry mob. So natural leaders, always, uh, you know, charismatic to the core, racist as hell. And he led an angry mob against the Republican Party that was trying to register black people to vote in Mississippi and terrorize these new Republicans. Well, if you're going to have an angry mob, that would be the reason to have an angry mob. Yeah. Well, you know, that would be, well, there's plenty of other reasons, but <laughs> that's, that's the only like, one that comes to mind in my mind. That's like, you know, very specific, yeah. you know, reconstruction, 1866, 67. That's when a buffkin, that's when buffkins were really shining. We could have been something uh, if, if, I don't know. I guess if Andrew Johnson didn't get impeached, I don't know. I don't know the the history behind it, but the Buffkins were a bumbling bunch who have our moments, and usually it's the wrong moment. <laughs> well, as as long as you don't lead an angry mob against voter registration, I'd say that you're doing pretty well in terms of the family unit. I spend a lot of time. And a lot of therapy, specifically trying to not lead any sort of angry mobs. And it's really hard. It's hard because I'm naturally charismatic. And I also naturally piss people off. And so together. You do do, you, you do, do that. I do. And there's together, a, yeah, there's a lot of people in Atlanta that really are waiting to talk to you. <laughs> That's horrifying. I didn't know that. <laughs> I guess I'll never, I guess that will be how I lead my first angry mob. And of course it'd be in Atlanta, which is a very mobby kind of city. <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I, I said that. I don't know if that's true, but I do remember you pissing a lot of people off uh, back when we were hanging out in Atlanta. And that was, it was always fun for me because I was always on your side. Well, I mean, it wasn't even on purpose. I just, I don't know. I just, I, I, I have a certain quality about me that makes me drink too much and say stupid shit, you know? And now that I'm sober, I just say stupid shit. 
but I can stop myself when beforehand I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> See, I don't say anything at all anymore. <laughs> I, I'm very quiet because yeah. the only thing that comes to my mind is just, I don't know. I think I, I think comedy ruined my, my, my head because I'll, I'll think of just terrible things to say, but that are funny in my head. But if I say them, someone has a problem with it. So I just, I'm just like, uh, I can't say anything. Well, not on this podcast. You can say whatever you want. Okay, like good. When you, were, when you were saying monastic, I wanted to say monasty. Like, <laughs> but I stopped myself. I did. I would appreciate it. I would have. I would have uh, liked that. That's called sobriety. That's called discipline. <laughs> oh, know? speaking of that, growth. Speaking of religious communities that I just have an issue with. All right. We talked, we brought up the Protestants and I didn't want they, I had, I was invited to a service by lovely people. So I'm not going to go in on them, but a couple weeks ago, I was having a real rough time. And I thought to myself, what could I do that would be productive? What could I do that would keep me from even thinking about drinking? Oh, well, I could go to a meeting. I've never gone to a meeting before. I don't want to go to an AA meeting. I'll go to a recovery dharma meeting. That'll be great. I can meditate with people, meet What's other recovery people. dharma. It might be dharma recovery, but the the well, which one is it? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you, like do you not know? Is that the name of an organization? What? Do you not know what recovery dharma is? No. I thought that you might. I thought you might have just because you. Um, you know more about Buddhism than I did, but I got introduced to it by this guy in Reno and um, it's using the teachings of the Buddha, AKA Dharma to help people in recovery through the, you know, the four noble truths and the eightfold path and following those, um, I guess in infinitum, but just um, to lead a, uh, I don't know, sober uh, life of, uh, of recovery. And, and with the, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, but the Sangha, with people that are like-minded. And so I went to a meeting and I should have known that it wasn't a good it, it wasn't for me because I went in, the door was locked. I was standing outside. I was call. I went to, it was at a, a treatment facility. So I called the front desk. No one answered. Called, I called, I called. I knocked, I knocked, I knocked. And then this rando dude showed up and he said, hey, are you here for the meeting? And I said, yeah. And uh, he banged on the door. They wouldn't let him in. There's people looking at us. And he keeps banging on the door and he says, you guys know me, please let me in. I'm here for the meeting. And, uh, and someone opened the door and we were allowed in and they all said, look, we, we weren't allowed to open the door for you. Like staff members have to open it up for you. And he said, okay, well, I'll, you know, don't tell anybody. It'll be okay. And we started the meeting. And I'm sitting there. And I'm realizing that I'm the only car in the parking lot aside from this guy. 
So it dawns on me that this is an inpatient treatment facility. Like a, a lovely young woman passed me and she said, hey, are you new? I'm new too. And I said, oh yeah, it's my first time. And she said, oh yeah, I've been here three days. And I go, oh, okay. So now I'm, now I'm slowly figuring out what's happening. Those we usually have signs that say inpatient facility. Did you pass that? It, it didn't say that. Nothing it said that. It just said like FedEx life. call to drop off a package. That's the only sign that I saw. Oh. Um, and it had nothing, nothing online. I found this online. Yeah. And so we're sitting there and we all go around. We say our names. When I, when I said my name, everybody was like, ooh. And so that made me feel weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were like, ooh, new guy. Uh, so I was. I just picture a bunch of like just Buddhist alcoholics being like, fresh meat. And like, that's how it felt. That's how it felt. There was a guy, there was a like an old black dude who was sitting uh, surrounded by like three other younger lips. guys. Licking his lips, just like ready to get in there. Mm. Well, he was just, he was yelling at everybody. He was saying like, you ain't a thug. This is recovery. You ain't a thug. This is recovery. That's pretty good. That's actually. Yeah, I was like, that's, yeah that's pretty good. It's very intimidating, but that's pretty nice oh, to yeah. hear, I guess. Um, so we read the Four Noble Truths and then we all meditate as a group. And we meditate for maybe 10 minutes and we come out of it and two staff members are like coming through the door and they're both coming right to me. And I'm just going, oh man, they're about to kick me out. I feel it. I don't know why they're about to kick me out, but they're about to. And they said, yeah. hey, I'm so sorry. This is an inpatient meeting or this is a closed group or whatever. You gotta, you gotta go. And then everybody in the group started sounding off like he was here at the beginning. He's new. Let him stay. What did he do? And I was just going, I can't, I can't deal with this. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't like this attention. So I just politely left. And then I sat in the car with a very meditative state, uh, kind of like washed over me and, and just kind of, I don't know. I had this very blissful state of what, why? And I felt, I don't know, I felt very, um, I felt very excluded and uh, very kicked out of a meeting. So I, uh, I kind of walked around with that for the rest of the day, you know? I mean, you were literally excluded and literally kicked out. So that, it makes sense why you felt that way. <laughs> yeah, I was just sitting in the car going, why, like, I'm, I have just as much business being in there than, as they do. Like, what, why can't I stay? You know, what if I was going to relapse? Yeah. Why was it, why was it advertised? Why, like you found it online, obviously. Why is it like? They said that it hasn't changed. They've been doing closed groups for like two weeks before I came and um, they just hadn't changed it online. Oh, well, that's bullshit. That's what I thought. <laughs> but I, I just had this in, like incredulous feeling in the car just going, man, I like literally took my, that was my first meeting ever. That wasn't like an Al-Anon group. I, I took my first step in group recovery and I got kicked out within 10 minutes. How was it though, when you were there? It was really nice. Yeah. I've been- Yeah, I've been I mean, everybody looked at me like I wasn't supposed to be there and that made me feel weird. Like it was all, you know, like not, nothing against them. They're in treatment, but 
they were like some grizzled addicts who were all just staring at me and i'm just with my backpack on going hey guys to be are fair, we gonna meditate i've been to a lot of aa meetings and that's yeah. the same vibe you get when you walk in where everyone just like looks at you and they're like oh he's new and they're licking their lips and they're like welcome to the community it's this it's like Ugh. yeah it's kind of i am not a fan of AA. I'm sure it helps people. I know it helps people. I've met so many people that it's helped, especially when I when people find out that I'm sober. Not so much anymore, but like back in the day, like yeah. it would be like, oh, you're sober? Do you go to AA? And I'd be like, no. And um, I just like couldn't get behind it. For one thing, there's no higher power than myself. I am my own God. And like, I think it's, it's, upsetting and i think it's almost morally wrong it is morally wrong to get people who are at their lowest and bring them into a basement and serve them the shittiest fucking coffee you've ever had and then be like this isn't your fault you aren't power you are powerless we can we have all your we if you keep coming here we'll solve all your problems and then all they do in AA meetings is talk about how great AA is and how AA saved their life. And then they kind of like sit around and they tell these like trauma porn kind of stories where they're like, man, this one time I got so drunk and everyone starts laughing. And they're like, how drunk was he? And I was like, I don't know if this is recovery. And mm. it's like, it's always like some grizzled motherfucker who's like, Every I've gone so many times, and then he's like, "There's always some dude who's like, I just know a lot of people here get really upset." <clears throat> let me try that. Let me try that impression again. <clears throat> and scene. I just no, <clears throat> I'm not gonna do it. They just get really upset with, um, like, they, no, they don't get upset, but they'll they'll sit there and they'll tell me like, just so you know, don't get turned off by the religious aspects of AA. This is right. not a religious community. Anyways. Let's end the service with the Lord's prayer. <laughs> Let's all hold hands. And then I'm sitting there holding hands with like, you know, a bunch of strangers. Mm -hmm. And then they like clap for you. They make you get up and go get a chip. And they all clap for you. And on the surface, it all seems great when you're like super hungover or like super sad because you just like lost everything or because you were court ordered to go there. You know what I mean? But then like after a while, you meet people and you're like, wow, you guys are not, you just stop drinking. Everyone's fucking each other. Everyone's like still kind of mad. And then like everyone kind of has that weird energy, which is very similar to the youth group energy that I think you've experienced. Mm -hmm. And everyone has um, like very definitive answers. And they're yes. like, oh, don't smoke. Don't. I knew people who were like, I don't even take ibuprofen. And be like, that seems insane. Always <laughs> 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 a guy who's like working out constantly or yeah. some dude drinking coffee at 8 p.m. And it's just like, like, I'm trying to get away from this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and so and, and you hear it from a Dharma perspective. And I'm glad that, you know, it doesn't change no matter what the religion is. It's still the same. You it's know? still just grizzled people who are angry to be there. <laughs> yeah I'll but and and that's i i think that is what um 
that is what is was so um, icky, I think, about going to that Protestant church yesterday because it had that same vibe of everybody is like drinking the Kool-Aid here. And I don't think it's it, like in terms of my own sobriety and in, in, in reflection of this church thing, like I know that I went very intense with it my first year um, and maybe even my second year. And to see a group of young people together just going, this is what it is. We all have to do this. We're all doing it the same way. We're all, um, it made me feel very empty. Um, I, I remember I left there. My friend who invited me asked me like, what, what'd you think? And I, I wanted to ask him like, what do you, what do you think? What do you get out of this? Because, you know, all the things that I tried to find when I, uh, was first getting sober were all things that either made me uh, confront some stuff that I didn't, I wasn't ready to confront yet, or it was just filling the, like the drinking void. It was just trying to find something to satisfy that, but it all just left me feeling like I'm not doing this correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's only it's only filling that void. You like, I mean, and I I can see how that is helpful, right? Because the main mm. thing I lost when I quit drinking was my community. I mean, I literally like all of my friends were drinking buddies. I would go to the bar. I mean, my biggest trigger is loneliness, and I you know so like, you go to a bar, you hear all these stories, you're drinking. Next thing you know, it's like 4 a.m. You got to be at work in two hours, but who cares? You're at someone's house, you're in their pool, you know, like you don't know who they are. There's a bunch of people around, they're busting out the cocaine. And um, then you like quit drinking and then it's like, all right, well, I guess I'll just start going to these meetings. And then you're like, oh, it's just like a sad version of that. It's like, yeah. oh, except the meetings always have this kind of like pause at the end we're like and that's when i quit drinking and it's just like <laughs> and it's like it's the same thing they tell the stories they meet up they go you know they go get breakfast i uh, they, they yeah still, but it's like, still this insular place mm -hmm. it's, they, it's, feel, they feel one thing that i recognized almost immediately was that they feel special. Mm. And when I drank a lot, I also felt special. And I think that's like something that I, in my, in my drinking and in my sobriety, it's like, oh, I can do this, especially my functioning, because I'm special. Yeah. I'm a special little like superhero who can get drunk and wake up at 6 a.m. and like do the shit that I can do and then get drunk again. And then when I went to AA, it was kind of that same like, oh, you know, those normies don't know this and that. And I was like very, at first I, you know, because it took me several times to get sober. But by the time I got to where I'm at now, I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to hang out with those guys. <laughs> they make me want to drink. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, that's, that has been so remarkably influential with my recovery because, and, and, 
I, I'm glad that I went to that service last night because what you're saying is is um, is very appropriate for my experience um, at that service because it was it it was this feeling of y'all think that you are, I mean to uh, to take what you said like special like you think you're saved, therefore this is what it is like this is your life now and you're going to do this weird worship service i guess once a week maybe more but this is like a very in group y'all all love the idea that you are special or saved and that is not helpful to someone like me because there's no i can't say i can't check off a box and be done like that's not what recovery is. And so in terms of true Christianity, that's not what Christianity is either. Like we're I'm I was I'm being saved. I'm I need help. I need to keep doing this. There's no box that I can check that I can say I'm definitely in. I'm special now. No. I'm always I'm always a sinner like i'm always facing trials i'm always facing temptation because i'm a i'm an alcoholic and i will always be an alcoholic and i will always need help i will never be special and that mentality is the only thing that's helped me like sustain this yeah yeah, I, I definitely resonate with the, I mean, recovery is an active practice, you know, it's like, for me, it's like yoga, like it's a thing, there's no black belt in yoga, you're never done, like you're, you're never, you, there's no like points, anchor points where you can like strive for the next goal. It's literally just like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. And, and I'm going to focus on that thing so that I can do other things. And that's how like, you know, recovery is for me, it's like an active practice where everything sort of result revolves around it. Like, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like every decision is made specifically, you know, to not just prevent me from drinking, but also to get me to a place that is better than where I was. Um, and then sometimes I do that with an alcoholic sense where I'm like pushing and pushing. Cause I'm like, I need to get my life back. And the next thing I know, I'm like writing on stop. I'm like starting all these projects and never finishing them. I'm never chilling out. And you know, that happened to me recently. I like, I was going to jujitsu at 5am or 6am in the morning. And then I was doing yoga at night. And then I, you know, I'm working constantly answering emails, writing, like just like stretched, fucking thin and then the smoke rolled into chicago and i got knocked on my ass super fast and like yeah. lost my shit i had like a nervous breakdown essentially and that's when i started like cutting off all my friends because it was also a huge wake-up call because i was like couldn't breathe i kept passing out i was genuinely like if this keeps happening and it will if I don't figure something out, this is how I'm going to die. I'm just going to suffocate in air 
because of climate change. And like, it was a huge wake up call to my own death and the things that I want to do before it happens and how I'm spending my time. And that was like, oh man, I also need to like, it was also like a forced stoppage. Like I got to stop. I can't go outside. It was like a mini pandemic. It was like having COVID again. I couldn't leave my house except everyone else was like, oh yeah, I kind of smell like Kepler outside. And I was like, well, cool. I'm dying every time I walk outside. <laughs> like I feel fine. I went for a run. Um, seriously. That's like all I heard. And it was just like, there were definitely times where I was like, dude, why the fuck am I even sober? Yeah. Like, yeah. Why yeah, the yeah. fuck am I doing this shit? Like I miss out on so many great opportunities to hang out with people, to connect with people. Like I'm so lonely and I can't even like, I, the people I do hang out with, like they don't really get like what's going on with me at any sort of point. They dance around me. Like I'm about to like flip out, like, and then I just kind of had to like take a step back and, and, and take inventory. And that's like, that's the practice, right? That's the practice of recovery. It's like this kind of like a constant, why the fuck am I doing this? Oh, that's why. Cause if I don't, I'll die. Or like, you know, like if I had kept drinking and smoking like we were, and then the smoke came in and I didn't quit smoking five years ago and I didn't quit drinking four and a half years ago. And then the smoke came in. I probably would not, I would have definitely have gone to ER or some shit like this. The smoke would have forced me to quit drinking or any other number of things. Right. Like, I was like waking up in parks and they, at the end of like service lines and stuff like that. So there's like plenty of things that would have like popped open to like wake me up and get me to my sobriety at some point or not. But if I start drinking again, I have to wait for those things to come again. And, uh, and then I have to get back on this like recovery train and the hardest part is getting sober. So it's like, well, maybe that's like the second hardest part, but like, uh, you know, it's just like, it's just the active practice every day. And that's something that always runs into relationships too. What do you mean? It, you know, I've dated two people who were active drinkers, kind of partiers since I've gotten sober or well, three actually. And I'll be like, Oh, you know, I don't know if I should um, go to this bar for your birthday. You know, or like, oh, I know you want me to meet your friends, but um, I kind of got to go because I really feel like I'm about to drink. And then eventually they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then eventually they're like, it's always recovery with you. It's always about your recovery. And I'm like, yeah, it is. You didn't, you signed up for this. I told you this when you fucking started dating me. And now you're upset with me because you can't handle how hard this recovery is. <laughs> like imagine being me. You know what I mean? And that that's happened at least twice. It's happened recently. It happened last weekend. Yeah. This girl was like, sometimes you say stuff and it just really bums me out. And I was <laughs> like, <laughs> and I, the stuff I would say, was like jokes. Like I, the, like she got, she, she got upset because I was telling her something about how, when I got my DUI, the Uber driver picked me up from the jail 
and was like, how was your day going? And I was like, well, <laughs> you just picked me up from jail. So not great. <laughs> right? Kind of a funny joke with the right audience. She didn't like it. And she then she like was that? like, no, she got so bummed out. She was like, some things you say just really bum me out. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a personal problem. Welcome to recovery. Sometimes it's a bummer and you just got to laugh. <laughs> so yeah. we stop seeing each other. <laughs> well, I think that's for the best. Yeah, me too. But that's part of how recovery is like a constant, constant act of practice where you kind of have to always be making, it's always this thing where you have to make these decisions. Like, you know, should well, I be and- should I go there? Do I have the space to be in this situation? Right. Stuff like that. And I think that like you just saying that made me made me uh, kind of I don't know look at the Saturday freak out a little differently because I think that what ended what happened was that same adjustment where you check yourself on like for instance ingesting a large amount of kava. Where in my mind I'm going, I I'm it's Friday night and I I need to let loose too, you know, uh, doing a little shimmy, do a it's little connect. shake, Friday yeah. night, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Feelings right. And so I woke you know, up the next day. Oh, what a night! I said it's, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I want to get into it. I want to. I want to like just. Does I just want to dumb down? check out, watch Tenet with my roommate and drink a bunch. Um, And then, you know, I woke up the next day. I woke up two hours after my alarm and I felt immediately like I had wasted my day, which is because my own head. Um, And then I, I, even though it was Saturday and I I had this, I, I think that like monasticism is incredibly cool to me. Like I, I do have to kind of check myself on like, is this a romanization or is this really cool? I think the highest aspiration that someone could achieve is being a priest monk. Like that sounds cool. But at the same time, that's where you can heal your party and also strengthen their weapons and also like lift curses and stuff like that. That's exactly it. And yeah, you're, you're also like a troll. Um, I, I love that idea, but on on Saturday I look back on it and you and it's kind of that recovery also has this element, at least in my experience, where there's a lot of like self-flagellation. Like there's a lot of just giving yourself a hard time because you slipped or you mm-hmm. feel like you slipped and you go, Why are you so stupid that you can't even enjoy drinking something like kava? which you know you're not supposed to drink a lot of. Why are you like this? Why? And then the whole next rest of the or the whole next day going, "All right, well, I can fix this. I can I can I can change. I can be different. I can be better. I can I can I can." And you're just living with a crazy person because that's still the addict in your head going, "Oh, I can fix it. I know I can." And but I mean why why listen to that and uh i i have such a hard time distinguishing between what i need to do which is extreme in my case of sustaining a recovery and what i need to do in order to sustain it in a gentle 
um, in a gentle way. Yeah. Yeah, recovery definitely has to be gentle. That was something that was really hard for me at first because, and I still struggle with that where I'm like, I'm like kind of like Veruca Salt where I'm like, I want it now. Like I used, when I first got sober, I was like, God, I can't wait till I'm like five years from now when I'm like, you know, and now that I'm almost at five years sober, I'm like, fuck, <laughs> I'm still the same I was five years ago. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, there's definitely this like immediacy for me. It feels like I have to alter my timeline. Like I, I kind of like woke up and I'm like, this is not my beautiful house. You know, like I don't have a beautiful house, but I, you know, I'm saying like, I like looked around and I was like, who the fuck are these people? Like, like what's going on here? And I also had a hard time with how boring life is. Like super, super boring. I mean, most people talk about Netflix and shows that they watched and like not make jokes at a bar or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Talk about, they don't talk about if snowmen are nihilistic or if they're like absurdist or if they believe in Christ, like we talk about, you don't really find these kind of people in day-to-day -day life. And that was like so fucking hard for me to adjust to. And now that I'm like sober, I still struggle with that, but I'm a little bit more open about it where I'd be like, this conversation is boring. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I'll be like, do you guys, you know, then I'll bring it up. But, but yeah, it's, it's just like, there's always that energy, that drive to like go for the most intense thing. Like, you know, when I first got sober, I started running and I ended up like running like I would run like 15 miles in one day sometimes. That's insane. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. And then I meet other runners and they're like, oh, yeah, I did like a 24 miler today. Tomorrow I'll probably do like a 30 miler. And I'm like, that's, you're just like an alcoholic. You're the same. That's the same energy. That's the same craziness. And yeah, like yeah. I meet people who are like in jujitsu and they're like, yeah, I train like three times a day and this is what my life is and my body is in a lot of pain. I'm like, that's because you're not really taking care of yourself. <laughs> and that's alcoholism. That's the same shit. And then you yeah, meet the yeah. same other people who are like really into taking care of themselves. And then you're like, yeah, but you're also like not really putting yourself out there and getting hurt. And you're not doing the other side of that. Like, you're just like, you're, you're, you're doing the opposite of that to the other extreme level. And then it's like balancing that yin and yang that like, that, that, up and down and knowing when your margins your margins are like i think like alcoholics have really wide margins where like when we're happy we're fucking happy as shit and everything's amazing and then when we're sad like it's near death sadness it's like i mm -hmm. i want to disappear i don't want to die i don't want to exist i want to wipe my existence out like like ashton kutcher in um in that movie where he like butterfly effect yeah, 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 yeah. You know when he like, he, he, did you ever see the deleted scene, the deleted ending? Oh, where he he totally erases himself, right? Yeah, yeah. He like he like strangles himself with his umbilical cord as a as a baby. You know, I that 
is one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. I cry every time I watch that movie. <laughs> uh, let's just, do you want to just switch this podcast into a butterfly effect podcast? And we just talk about how great that movie is. It's so, it's, a, it's a great soundtrack. It's really dark. It's very dark. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Like the depression is so deep. And so then you have to like, well, not you, but you know, I, I had to figure out where my margins were. Mm-hmm. And then like, sometimes I'm too intense. Like the girl the other day <laughs> who was like, I don't like the stories that you tell. I'm like, well, those are my stories. I can't really hide away from my past. And yeah, they're all kind of sad in a way, but also kind of funny. Um, and then, you yeah. know, then there's also some people that I meet that are like, you're really boring. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of have to be. Uh, you heard my stories, right? I can't do that again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's just like, it's always about like finding that, like that middle sort of intensity. And, and even in, as I'm saying that, like the stuff that I do is intense. Like my job is an intense job and it doesn't even, to me, doesn't even feel that intense. But when I hear about other people who are like, yeah, it's an easy day. I answered three emails. I'm like, oh man, that's crazy. That's all you did. <laughs> and then someone's like, yeah, I stayed late. I had to stay past 530. I'm like, whoa, that's late. That's like when I normally leave work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, and, and that's, I think that's something I was thinking about today uh, too. Cause I, um, I have been trying to fix my sleep schedule um, for the better part of like two months. And I usually get six hours or six and a half and i can't sleep more than that because if i'm too well rested then things get a little bit too there's too much almost like too much stimulus i need that like uh like the texture needs to be a little dissolved through sleep deprivation for me to get through the day but it it's still, there's still a need for me to like what you were saying, like stretch myself thin. Like I need to get up at six, uh, I need to get up at 5 a.m. so that I can do this, do this and do that. And then I can start my day. Yeah. And then my day is still like jam packed and just finding more reasons to um, kind of just exhaust myself because that's, that's what's going to keep me going for whatever reason. But finding that level of intensity just every day, just so that I can go to bed at whenever I do and go, okay, I was productive today because I did 20 things. Um, and then God and is I don't know, but, like, he did it. He did 20 things. Good day. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Tom. You did 20 yeah. things. You did 20 things that you like, 15 of those things were not necessary. You could have done one of them. You could have done one of them. Yeah. And it would have been fine. I, yeah. I mean, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, it's because I'm trying to make up for lost time because I spent so much time just like too hungover to do shit, too drunk to do shit, too dumb, too high you know, and I'm not connecting with people. Now I don't have any friends and I, I don't have any money because I 
spent it all on booze and I didn't make great financial decisions. And so it's like, okay, now I got to pretend like I'm 28 and I didn't drink my life away, but I'm not, I'm 38 and I did drink my life away and I need to like slow down and like figure out what to do. Like, it's like that scene in Apollo 13 when he like dumps all, they dump all the shit on the table and they're like, all right, fellas, this is what they have up there. Let's try to figure out how to make them oxygen. And they like to figure out a way to make a, an oxygenator out of like these like leftover miscellaneous shit that they have. They're just like using scraps to make this life thing, right? Um, yeah. We're just gonna keep referencing movies only from 1992 to 2004 this is the only that's when all the best movies came out it's true this is true um so like i think apollo 13 1996 seven um big tom hanks year that year so they you know what i mean so like it feels like that's how my life feels now where i'm just like it used to be where i'm like okay i gotta do this i gotta do that i gotta do this i gotta i gotta talk to them i gotta send this email and i gotta do that and then I also need to, uh, I would like take, like make a note where I'm like, okay, Malcolm Gladwell said, if you do something 18 minutes a day, then you're in the top 2% of it. So I'm going to play guitar for, you know what? Fuck it. I'll do 20 minutes. I'm going to play guitar for 20 minutes. I'm going to draw for 20 minutes. I'm going to write for 20 minutes. I'm going to, you know, do all of these things every fucking day. I'm going to learn Spanish for 20 minutes and then you write it all down and then you realize it took you 3 hours to write down your schedule. And then and then you're like, "Well, okay, I'm tired." And then you go to sleep and then you wake up and you're like, "Okay, well, uh, maybe I got well, I forgot I didn't I didn't plan to take a shower." And then you get into the shower and you start thinking and then you're like, "You know what? Maybe I should wash my hair." And then you start getting like these ideas and the next thing you know, you're like, you come up with a really cool song that like fights off your intrusive thoughts. And then you start thinking about your intrusive thoughts. And then an hour goes by and like, well, I just spent all my guitar time and, and all of the 20 minutes just fucking showering. And then you realize like, like it's fuck. It's just, that's how it's going to be. Like, you're not going to change overnight. You're going to, it's going to, it's not like, you know, what's the phrase like the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago the second best time is now but it takes like time it takes Mm. time to grow these things and that time is gone and so but there's things that were grown during that time that aren't really recognizable because they may be like tarnished uh with alcohol like like for instance i forgot that I am really charismatic and funny sometimes. And I forget that all the time because, you know, like I used to go to a bar and be like, I'm going to see how long I can go without buying a drink just by charming people and telling them to buy me a drink. Which is stupid manipulative, right? Crazy manipulative. Like, weird crazy shit like I'm, I'm i'm i would be i'm i would totally understand if you hung up on me right now i mean it's like crazy stuff i would and i would get off on it and now 
I work in advertising, which is essentially manipulation. It's essentially a charm and stuff like that. But it's like, I can look back and be like, well, I did develop these skills of persuasion. So I should at least use that for my advantage or other people's advantage and like try to put on the charm when it works in an authentic way and like just reaccess like the stuff that I learned in this lost time. Does that make sense? So then it's like, it's almost just like, it's about just re figuring out, like not abandoning everything, but just kind of shifting through that stuff that you have in your capsule to make oxygen out of it. And sometimes it's literally dog shit. And then you got to like polish that dog shit and turn it into some, you know, some French cuisine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to expand. You're, on you're not going to go for a pun there. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I don't know enough French to like rhyme turd. Well, I was expecting some kind of whimsy from you, but all right, that's fine. But I, mean, I do know what you mean. Cause yeah. like, you gotta, uh, eat you gotta eat the shit. You gotta eat it. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you know, well, it's, it's the shit that you have. You got to make the most of it. But yeah. I like I I relate so much with that lost time thing. And um, man, you made me think of so many conversations I've had with people who are like, in, if I'm in relationship with them or friendships or stuff. Um, this is so, it's, it's going to sound stupid, but the, the way I talk to them is, no, I have to do this because I've wasted so much time. Yeah. I have to I have to get up like this and do this when I wake up and like keep myself in check. And the way they'll talk to me is like, all right, well, you know, you you haven't lost so much time. But in my head I'm going, Yeah, I have. Yeah. I I threw away so many opportunities. I threw away so many years just doing the the nothing. And now I'm in a place where I, I, it's like a different vantage point. And like, if, I don't know, you like, it's, it's the same thing with like, you can't judge another person. So if, if someone wants to talk to me about how much time I haven't wasted, like they know, but it's all just to cheer me up. I can't tell them like, well, but we're all wasting time. We're all wasting time all the time, but that that's not true either. You know what I mean? Like, it's just this, it's still this intense thinking yeah. that is propelling you forward. And it's not always the best mentality to have, but it's almost the only one I, I have. And I think it's the inverse of feeling special because it's like, oh, every, I wasted time. I now I got to do more because everyone else is ahead of me. And it's like, eh. like, I remember talking to my friend and she was kind of having this issue and she was approaching, she was over 30. And she was like, I haven't done anything. And I was like, you've traveled. You've done so many things that I want to do. Like you've been like all over South America. And she's like, yeah, but that was with my parents. And like, they just like to do that stuff. She's like, I haven't really done anything. And I was like, dude, me too. And she was like, Jody, you did stand up comedy. I didn't even do that. And she was like, and you did this and you did that. You like hosted those poetry jams. And I was like, yeah. At first I was like, keep talking. I like, uh, I like what you're saying here. 
but you know, it's like, we didn't waste time. Like, dude, the people that we are friends with are famous now. That is true. That's pretty not cool. Lot, not a lot of people, not a lot of, not a lot of alcoholics specifically, but not a lot of people have that. Like not a lot of people are like, Oh yeah. I just got a commercial with a guy that I used to smoke weed with. Like, I don't, that doesn't happen. And it happens to us regularly, regularly, regularly. Like I was watching a show with Rory Scovel and like, I definitely have been in the same green room as Rory Scovel and he's just sitting oh, yeah. there on the TV. Yeah. And Rory I'm, watched me bomb at Starbar really hard. Not a lot of people have that experience. <laughs> right. I like the first time I ever saw um, Eric Andre was did I tell this at the last podcast? I don't think I did. First no, I time think... I ever saw him was uh, walking in the star bar. He was headlining. It was before he did the show. It might've been like 2012, 2013, something like that. And he just like popped his head in front of my vision. Like, I, I don't know. I was like lost in thought, probably upset, probably hungover. And he just went with his big goofy face and would just like got into my direct eye line and just smiled and then walked away. And I was like, who the fuck was that guy? And I was like pissed off at him for doing that. And, uh, and then it turned out, I was like, who the fuck is Eric Andre? And then, you know, now he's famous, but it's like, you know, or like that time I had to follow Ron White. That not a lot. That was, uh, that was a hell like no other, but no, Nobody has, not a lot of people have that experience. So it's like, it's not the time that I wasted. I think it's that, that's that it's like last time I was talking about, there's like this two, these two dogs in me. And there's the one that wishes that I like had the ability to have done the networking right. And the Mm -hmm. wherewithal to have done the, like actually dedicated myself. If I had the, the right habits, like when we would meet up and write, like remember we would try to meet up and write and we'd just end up drinking too much coffee and then like shitting ourselves to death essentially and like writing like one joke, maybe. Uh, like That neither of us could do because we both wrote it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or because it was actually something that someone else did like a couple of weeks ago and we forgot. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like that's, and that that is talking about habits and that's like, that's just like a different kind of like part of recovery is there's like, there's the habitual kind where you're just like, I need to develop better habits that I didn't learn. Like even now I'm probably not advancing in my career as much as I could be because I'm terrible at organizing, which is why I had to push back this, this fucking meeting this scheduling this podcast three times is because I'm just like bad at it. And it's just a habit that I, or like a skill I never really learned. And then there's like, there's that part of recovery that feels like, oh, I've wasted so much time because there's this whole concept that successful people learn this shit while I was drunk. And it's true. They did. And then there's like a whole part of just like emotional aspects where you kind of have to just like look at what you got and be like, all right, how can I make the best of this? What can I, what can I make out of this? Um, and that happens just slowly. And that's the part that sucks. 
because the only resource we really have is time. And the only thing that we own is our body. And so it's like, you're like, man, the two things that I am like needing the most right now are kind of on their way, like kind of going down. And then you meet some like 19 year old and they're just like at the beginning of their like alcoholic journey. You ever met someone like that? I met a kid who was like, I just been drinking for the first time and I loved it. And I was like, oh boy. Uh, (laughs) And it's like, you can't even be like, watch out, you know, like you can't be like, you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, But yeah. But okay. That's, that's, I think that's important though, because that's something that I, I needed to recognize, which is um, in relation to, um, the fall of man in Genesis, like the idea behind that. With Phil Collins? We, yeah, yeah, with, by, by Phil Collins. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the <laughs> super group. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they have a they have a great smash hit called Genesis Chapter 2. Um, it's this really good album that's all about the fall of, of man. And in the, in the, um, it's kind of like a concept album, but the story of it is, you know, Adam and Eve fall because of whatever. The, the The details are important, but they're not important for what I'm trying to say. the The fall itself, to me, is really is significant, just because we all have to fall in some way, because we all will. We're all going to fall. If you have a great life, you will die. And if that's not a big fall, I don't know what else is. But we all do things. We all have moments in our life that is this kind of humbling feeling of, oh, man, I am way off track. Or I, I don't know how this happened, but I, I fell off and I don't know how to get back. And yeah. I think that that is a essential part of being human we all have to have that experience because it's the only way for us to develop our own sense of individual meaning making and our own value system because getting back to a path you're not going to get back to the path that you might have been on if you do like great but it's you're going to be different anyway in in any case you're going to find your way back to it of your own journey that is developed through that um, that meaning making in the value system that you build because of that fall. And I, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's what has helped me kind of define the journey just because it, it's, it, this is all inevitable, especially the way that we were living. It was inevitable. Like I would, I should be, there's a few different opportunities for life to have been taken from me just because of various late nights in New York drinking. And the fact that I'm still here does not make me special. It makes me, it's not even like a blessing or lucky. It's just like appreciative of the fact that I am still here. And what do you do now? What, what is yeah. the way forward? Um, because there's really no going back. Tom. Huh? What? What do you do with a broken Tom? 
but yeah, dude, you there's no way back. You can't go back to where you were. I can't go back to that 19-year-old Tom who's like, whoa, drinking makes me feel confident and I can be around people and do stand-up too. What? I'm going to drop out of school and, and pursue stand-up with my every uh, waking moment. And you go, well, yeah, I guess that's what I was – that was what was supposed to happen to get here. Um, you just drop out in front of the hangar. And you're just like, no, Tom, don't. Don't do comedy. Just drink. Just drink. Don't do stand-up. Don't ruin your life. Don't do it. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's uh, the, the, the fall is a significant story because it's all our stories. And it's, it's something that we... I, to get to a place where you're like you someone like you are at you you don't get here if things are going great even in alcoholism like if things are going great in alcoholism like i don't know i don't think that there would be reason for me to stop drinking but if i keep losing everything and i keep losing my teeth keep busting my face getting into fights not doing stand-up, not working on myself, then, you know, it's not like I'm moving from glory to glory in that case. I am not in a good place, and I need to, like, check why. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, you kind of reminded me about something that I learned a long time ago that I, I haven't thought about in a while, about falling i um i think a lot of people think that there's like when it comes to alcoholism specifically that there's like a a moment right like they're like oh man like i've had so many people like dude tell me what happened what was the night that made you want to get sober and they want to hear some crazy story where i like you know like you know fucked my stepmom and like drove drunk and like you know, had some crazy night where I was like halfway through to Chicago. I'm trying to think of something insane and I'm just, I'm just fucking fumbling it up, but I didn't step, I didn't fuck my stepmom. Um, and like, they don't make that face. And they, but like my, my point is like, they, they're looking for this, like one story, this one moment, this one fall. Cause when you say fall to me, it sounds like there's like, you know, Eve gave Adam the apple and that he chose, and that's like the one, like, oh, I wish I didn't do that one decision. Right. And I'm, I'm reminded of a time at the local, which was a bar in Atlanta that ran a comedy show that was pretty good. I mean, it was a really good comedy show, but the audience was tough sometimes. I mean, the audience was very unforgiving. When, when you had them, you had them. And like Dedrick Flynn always got them. We got them a couple of times, but like when you didn't have them, they would just like, no one would look up from their meals. And there were times in that show where I just wanted to disappear under a table because like people were just bombing so hard. And I was one of those people once and it was when I was featuring. So I was up for like 12 minutes, just like telling dumb poopy pee pee jokes and like to like fucking crickets. And it was hell. It was bad. 
And I went up to, do you remember Jeffrey Stevenson? I went up to Jeffrey Stevenson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He said, yeah. He was great, man. And he was like, man, you did great. And I was like, you're kidding, dude. I fucking, I was, that was embarrassing. And he was like, no, he was like, you were bombing, but you stuck with it. And you like held out until the end of the show. You didn't give up. You didn't get mad at the audience. You just like kept telling jokes, hoping that each one would land. And he was like, and that shows, that's the sign of a good performer. And I was like, well, shit. And then later I kind of realized that like life is a little bit like that. Like life, especially in recovery, you're always failing. And like, comedy also is like no one's good at it it's they're just better at bombing like they're better at failing like the people who are doing better in my life around me of course they had like other advantages and stuff like that but like if they were to meet the challenges that we've met i don't know if they would like handle it as well and i think that's like about it's, it's like not about one fall. It's about constantly falling and being better at falling. It's like like Rocky. He's like, in Rocky Five. he's like, it's not about how hard you fall. It's about how well you get up. Uh, yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, it's about learning to fall well and gracefully, which is also in jujitsu and like longboarding and stuff. But like, it's it's kind of like this constant, like, I don't know. I've been approaching things like, well, this is going to suck, but I think I might be able to <laughs> juggle it and make yeah. it better, you know? I don't know. Well, and that, that, that is um, the idea of falling and it's going to happen no matter if you're an addict or not. You're always going to fail. You're always going to fall. And to get up is... I mean, that's like character, but it's the only way you're going to be able to fall again is if you get up. It's it's like a bad mentality to have is when you've fallen and you either assume that you can't get up or you assume that you haven't fallen at all, which is a very dangerous place to be in too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that is because like you said, like, especially when I was drinking, like there wasn't a moment where I said, okay, well, I hit bottom. Now it's time to start climbing back up because I've fallen all I can. Like that's not true. I, I woke up in a pool of my own blood on a, like a subway staircase and I was missing teeth and I was missing skin and people were walking past me. It's too late. I get it. Everybody wants to go home. And I stumbled home blackout moaning and just in a terrible spot and i didn't quit drinking for like eight nine more months you know like there's not there wasn't that one moment where i said okay well that's enough of that some of the stories Uh, you tell kind of upset me (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if we should see each other anymore um but to think you know you had a pool for a minute for just a minute in New York with New yeah. York prices. Yeah. It's pretty right? good. Yeah. I also like the idea of someone running in on you in the mid, like the dark streets of Brooklyn while you're like bleeding from your mouth going, uh, 
felt like a ghost just like haunting the Brooklyn streets. It had to have been hard. And, I, I lived with uh, Andy Sanford at the time and he texted me the morning after because I, I guess I passed him. He was smoking a cigarette when I came home and he, he texted me and he said, hey man, just to let you know, like if you walk around like that drunk, people do take advantage. So just be careful next time. <laughs> just going, Andy, I passed you. I was missing teeth. Why, like, this is not like a robbery situation. He's like, you know, just make sure you have all your teeth on you next time you're walking around. Uh, damn, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a wild night. But anyway, the, like, you know, the you you oh man i'm just thinking about that night that was a great night until that happened but anyway the uh <laughs> the the idea of uh of failing is um i don't know it's like a, just a truth of everything if you're gonna get good at stuff you gotta fail at it it's just like stand up like the only way I, I bombed for like three years straight until I was good at that. I had people coming up to me after shows, giving me cards to their therapist, asking if I needed a hug. Like they, yeah. <laughs> they were not into what I was doing. But at some point, something clicked and it was worth it. But you have to like, if something's worth it, you got to keep going. Um, and I get, I mean, I don't know. That's just... I think it was a good lesson to learn. Like we did stand up for so long bombing and then we get better and better. And that's probably a, a helpful uh, tool in the old uh, utility belt to have in this kind of recovery situation too. Oh, definitely. Because, you know, a lot of people are like, it's going to hurt your ego. And I'm like, no, you don't, you've never bombed. Yeah. You have that. no idea, dude. <laughs> You've never performed in front of a crowd of like a hundred people who all hate you. Like that's not, you know, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> and they're like, it's going to be tough. It's going to hurt emotionally. Like they, they do that in jujitsu too. They're like, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose a lot. And they do it in advertising. They're like, you're going to have to let go of some of your jokes and stuff. And I'm like, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know how to cut a joke, my friend. <laughs> you're going to face a lot of failure. And I'm like, I know a thing or two about failure. Um, and that's like, that definitely comes from the resiliency of doing standup and just being like, because, you know, we would go and do a set at one place and then do the same set at another place and have completely different responses. And like, so you never really know what's going to work, what's not going to work. You just keep vibing and you just like pivot, I think was the main thing that we learned is like how to read the situation, which I think helps in my recovery, where I I don't, you know, at the time, I don't think I was as good at like accessing my own shit, but I was really good at accessing the crowd. And I think that's like, recovery is like accessing my own shit. And like also seeing that you know, like also recognizing that the, there's a voice coming out of this, right? Which is something that comes from comedy that people are relating to, but not talking about. Because like comedy, sobriety is like one of those things where people are like, 
oh, you did comedy. That scares the shit out of me. I would never do it, but I love it. And I always wanted to do it, but I just could never do it. And you're just like, that scared you? Like performing in front of like five dudes who are looking at their phone, that scares you? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And it's like, sobriety is the same. Sobriety is way scarier. But <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, it's like the same kind of thing where you're like once you get on the other side you're like oh you mean like watching just hours of tv because you can't do anything else scares you you know it's like it's like it's just about learning how to fail and being in that constant state of just renewing yourself so that you can fail again you know yes that is the whole uh idea behind uh you know the word repentance comes from the greek metanoia which is all about that refreshing of the mind the renewal of the mind the um the moving the mind to a higher uh you know wavelength or vibe or whatever um but it, it's it's super it's super important because it's a that is a daily practice of like you said like with pivoting like reorient reorienting the mind toward what is of of value of the most good in your own life um cuz you know when you at least in my experience like i don't have a a a brain that really loves being oriented toward things that are good um i, I don't need honestly but yeah me out when i have goals i'm like oh i've reached my goal fuck like <laughs> i hate it because it makes me feel old i like having goals to strive for but then when i reach them i'm like oh i guess i'll die now like that means i'll die <laughs> <laughs> yeah but and and the and just having the ability to i don't know it maybe it's like just continuously setting goals or setting goals that are nigh unobtainable but having the ability to re just reorient yourself uh while when you're in the midst of oh my gosh i've been watching netflix for two days straight yeah um i, I there is a better way to live my life i am i'm i don't even like doing this i haven't enjoyed any of this what am i doing yeah you're like, I can't keep watching the later seasons of Community. It's just not as good as the earlier seasons. Yeah, I'm, I know. I know what you mean. And I think that's like, yeah. That's what makes it a practice, is mm -hmm. that there is really no end goal or even medium goal. It's just a constant renewal. It's you're constantly new at recovery. I mean, that's the way, you know, in AA, they say one step at a time. And that's the, that's a good thing to think. Like it is, it's one step at a time. Even when there are times when like I had to take it one breath at a time and be like, fuck, man, I got to just sit down and just fucking suck for a second and just like hurt and feel really uncomfortable. And then I'm going to get up and then I'm going to go do something self-destructive but not as self-destructive, like eat a bunch of candy or like look at a bunch of porn or like, you know what I mean? Like, like do whatever, go run really fast 
or yeah. like like something that is like some sort of like harm reduction but it's like that's what makes it a practice is you're never done even you're well, never, and, and you're I, never I, good you're never even at like an intermediate level i'm never like yeah i'm an i'm a novice drunk you're always a beginner recoverer or a novice recovery like you're always a beginner every day i don't care if someone's got like 30 fucking years like when they're talking to you they you just got sober like moments ago and they you know what i mean and there's maybe yeah. there's like there's like times they've got sober moments ago and that was several moments of them getting sober and they've learned a lot of course but like it's still that same mindset like i still have that same feeling when i wake up in the morning and i that i did in november of 2018 and i was like fuck i'm done i'm done doing this shit and i still have to find like you're like with your kava thing like ah fuck i'm done i'm done with that shit now i guess i'm done yeah. with this shit and then it's like it's all about just like figuring out what is happening like what's the next thing you'll be done with what's the next thing that you'll have to take up to fill in that hole even if it's a, not even like a hole makes it seem negative but it's like it could be a positive thing but like maybe there's a compromise there maybe like there's someone there who is terrible or like you know stuff like that like you, there's it's all about like just putting in these safeguards these measures you get better at saying fuck i'm done but you have to constantly say it but man you still i still get the uh this kind of disbelief feeling when i go oh man i'm really out i am really done with this huh and it's it something washes over me where i, I it is that kind of renewal feeling but it it is like this constant humility that overtakes me where i go oh dude i have no idea what i'm doing i'm so happy that i didn't drink last night or today but i have no clue yeah. what is what is going on i am i am i'm not scared but i'm i'm great and i'm grateful but i'm like incredulous at this just oh it's just never ends and i it's almost stupid to say but like i thought that it would end or i thought that i would there's no the 12 steps I don't like that. I don't like the idea of 12 steps, like 12 steps. And then what we're, we're good. Yeah. Like the, the, the eightfold path is so much better in that like recovery Dharma sense, because it is, it it's circular. It just keeps building and going and going. Um, you know, if they like let you in the meetings, I'm sure they tell you about it, but yeah, I'm surprised like, you even knew that <laughs> you learned that in the first 20 minutes, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they, they go over really, really quick. And I just thought, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I hope I get to know more about it. Um, like but it's... <laughs> First taste but is in... free, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole idea of, I don't know more than what I'm about to say, but in like the... Uh, the first step of the Eightfold Path is like right view and, and right intention. And there's like mundane right view and mundane right intention where there's these practices that you can take that are just i don't know cultivating virtue like there's just nice things to do like honoring your parents which you know might be hard for some of us but being nice to others 
treating like golden rule type stuff. And then it's like the super mundane, which is, and this is how we apply it to escape Samsara. And you go, Oh, I'm supposed to do a lot of stuff before we get there. Like I'm supposed to really work on myself and it is never ending. And yeah, then and maybe you, you do it multiple lifetimes. Right. And that helps. That's a helpful mentality to have too. Like there's, there is no ending to this. And I have, I have time to work on this. I mean, yeah. I hope I don't forget all this in the next life, but. I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's again, like that's, it's, that's the practice. I mean, the, to me, a practice is no goals in sight. There's no future or past. It's just the doing of the thing. So like when, you know, yoga is a practice and that's kind of, I learned a lot through that just because it's like, yeah, I'm getting better at yoga and I can do side crow, which is cool. And I can, cool. I've been working on my handstands, which is cool. But then I like go into a class and there's a, there's this one yoga teacher in particular that is very uh, interested in like the minutia of the movements. And so she'll be like, all right, do this very basic move, like downward dog. And then she'd be like, all right, make sure your uh, your pinky toe is touching. And then suddenly downward dog hurts like hell. This thing that I do all the time feels like I just did it for the first time because of this small little movement. And then she'd be like, all right, now tuck in your pelvic floor so that it's like, like shift your posterior tilt. And then you do that and you're like, I don't even know what my body feels like anymore. Like, it's just like a whole new thing. And it's all of these like little shifts and that's what makes it a practice. And it's constantly going to be like that because your body's always degrading. And it's like, there's never an ideal. There's never an end goal or a moment. It's not like a career where you're like, finally, I'm the president of this company or like, I did it. I'm on Leno or Conan or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm on Letterman. I made it to Carson's couch. <laughs> I went back in the past. And, you know, it's like, like that's, you know, even even comedy is like that in a lot of ways. Like, it's just like, I, you know, people who have been on Conan are still doing like little open mics and shit. Ask Andy. Yeah, something. there was uh, the, the um, one of the best to ever do it, Stuart Huff. Shout out Stuart Huff. Um, he was talking about seeing, um, George Carlin go up at like, maybe not an open mic, but basically an open mic. And George Carlin went out there with a notebook and he like put it down on the stool and he said, is it okay if I work out some stuff with y'all? And of course, all the comedians were like, oh my gosh, of course. Um, but Stuart Huff's point was just saying like, it just never ends. Like he was, you know, on his way out and he still went up with like premises to try to just see if anything was going to hit the wall. And the idea that, I mean, to think of like George Carlin going out with like a composition notebook and just kind of going, all right, let's see what, what works. Yeah. That's, that's the practice like it doesn't end and we're always trying to get better and we don't know what works we'll always be trying to find what works yeah i think where i struggle is 
the George Carlin that we all know. Like, when do you put the notebook down every now and again and you just fucking blast out all the stuff that you've learned? And that's what I'm trying to get at, you know? That's the hardest part, but maybe we well, should. Well, okay. Oh, yeah. You want, do you want to wrap it up? <laughs> okay, maybe. I mean, we're going on two hours. Uh, what were you going to say, though? Well, I was just going to ask, like, what do you mean? Like, what, what, like, what is, like, blasting it out mean to you? Well, I got so used to holding on to those early moments, like being at the open mics and even just like the first parts of sobriety that like, I don't take into account the things that I do know how to do. I mean, just like in comedy, like I, you know, I wasn't great, but there were times when I would really fucking grab the stage sometimes and like really get the audience sometimes. And it was like, I would go up super nervous. I remember specifically this one time I smoked like a whole pack of cigarettes from it's star bar from the time I found out I was going first to the time that I went, which was like within two hours or some shit, I smoked like a whole pack of cigarettes. I was so nervous. And, uh, right when I gave my first joke, the whole audience cracked up and I was like, Oh yeah, I know how to do this. And I never give my, I do that at work. I do that in my like personal life. I don't speak up. Um, even this podcast is my attempt of being like, I do know what I'm talking about. I do mm -hmm. know what I'm doing. Um, I, I didn't just get like my knees knocked out from under me with sobriety. And I'm not always like at this beginning moment, I have to remember that I am in a lot of ways, but I also need to take on these new challenges and that there are people out there who want to hear what I have to say. And that's just about like self-worth and like a lot of the, the things that I struggle with, with my own sobriety is about like, oh, you know, like I drank so I could disappear. And now that I'm sober, I feel like I truly disappeared and I'm trying to like be like, well, if I reappear, what do I look like? What do I sound like? What do I believe? What You're am trying I to build the confidence to lead an angry mob you're trying to step into the leadership position that all buffing leadership i know yeah on the wrong side of history which just brings me to my main point of this podcast and that's that the election was stolen from donald trump and i just <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i'm just kidding it was a fair election and if it was stolen then thank god <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's a great place to end it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this has been episode three. Um, I think we're gonna call it failing, just failing the practice of failing. failing. Yeah. The practice of failing. Practice of failing and falling. Um, and uh, yeah, tune in. Um, hopefully, we'll start uploading these soon. So tune in at a regular time, and we will have them. <laughs> Great bitch. Thanks. Good night, everybody. <laughs>